0: There. go ahead and join Left yet? any of the other young people want to head to junior church uh, I guess this is your shot to do that yes uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hill back there and uh, the rest of you in turn in your Bibles this morning to 1st uh, John chapter number 5 1st John chapter 5 see Jennifer I'm taking my coat off um, you know it's that time of year where you can't tell in the auditorium if it's hot, cold, I don't know what it is. Uh, and when you have my health issues, I don't know anyway, so I just look at DT. If, if DT's going like this, then I turn the heat up. <laughs> uh, well, yesterday was Veterans Day, and as we already have done, recognizing all of those who have served, uh, and I understand Armed Forces Day and the distinction, but... I figure we can't honor those who have served and currently are serving uh, enough. We thank you for your service, all of you who have served or are serving in the United States uh, military. Um, also, <clears throat> today is our dedication Sunday for our Operation Christmas Child boxes, which are over here on my left, and um, <clears throat> I'm going to try this morning to combine both of them into one biblical truth. I guess I need my water, hunt. <clears throat> Give me a second here. you all okay this morning? Start out, you know, good. Jennifer, you're freezing back there? Is that, are you freezing? Yeah, you're fine? You got. She's got a giant blanket over her. That's good. They yeah, got people that bring their own blankets, and they leave them here all the time. You know, Carol Jean does. Hers is, hers is right there. You could steal it, you know. Um, she'll come back, where's my blanket? I have no idea. Um, but I'm going to try this morning to put both of these things into one sermon. I thought, that would be all right. So I'm breaking away from our Reasonable Service uh, series. I'll pick that up next week. We're almost done with that series, but uh, today I, I wrote a, just a little message entitled Veterans of Victory, and we're going to go to one of my, honestly, one of my least favorite bo- books of the Bible, 1 John. And I know it's you going, ooh, pastor doesn't like a boy. Because when I was a younger, when I was a teenager, and even into my late teens, and into my even into some of my college years, um, you say, "Why did what? Did, what was it about First John you didn't like?" Because every time I'd read First John, by uh, the time I got done of it, I was not sure if I was really a Christian. Every time I read it, I came away going, "There's no way I can really be a Christian because I don't love my brother the way I should." And I'm so thankful as I got a little bit older, went into Bible college and studied that um, I was coming at the book of First John completely incorrectly. And uh, so thankful this book's become a great blessing and it's a wonderful truth. Basically, here's the short premise. If you want to know how to go to heaven, God, the Holy Spirit, used the Apostle John to write a letter specifically for you. And it's called the Gospel of John. But if you're a believer here this morning and you want to know how to walk in the light and not in the darkness... God used John to write three little books of the Bible directed specifically at believers, and that's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so it's not a test of whether you're genuine in your faith or not, because a couple things, it means that your faith is based upon your works. And secondly, if this book is talking about whether I'm really saved or not, every single one of us in here this morning are on our way to hell, because there's not one of us that could honestly read this book and say, I have kept all his commandments. Really? Really? I haven't done that. Now, uh, we could go into the book and I explain, but we'll just move on here this morning. So I'm very thankful for this book of the Bible. It's been a great blessing to me. And our text this morning is going to be to the end of this letter in 1 John chapter number 5, verse uh, number 1 of chapter 5. Whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. Uh, When we love God and keep his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray and look into this text uh, this morning. Lord Jesus, it's good to be here. It's been good to hear the singing, good to see the baptisms. Oh, we're so thankful for young people, children that are of a tender heart that understand and by simple childlike faith believe the promise and the offering of forgiveness of their sins by what you did on the cross and now publicly identified their faith in baptism this morning. It was a great joy. Lord, I pray you'd help us this morning. Help us as we serve you and we are an active duty in the service of the King that we would be veterans of victory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now we come to 1 John chapter number 5, obviously, profoundly this morning. It's a continuation of chapter number 4. And if you were to look, if you have your Bible open this morning at verses 20 and 21 of chapter 4, you're going to find that believers are, again, commanded to love one another. In the, the end of those verses, it says, He who loveth God loves his brother also. So chapter 5 kind of begins with John answering, well then who is my brother? If I'm supposed to love my brother, well then who is my brother? And and he makes it very clear as John does in 1 John, very black and white book, which is why I do love it. Um, in, in verse number 1 he says, whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so we're told that belief in Jesus as our Christ, our sin bearer, And he says, everyone that loveth him that begat God the Father, he's the one that all salvation comes from, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So he says, the person that is that brother is the one that believes in Jesus as the Christ. Simple faith. And then he also says, but then if you love the one from whom your spiritual birth was given, then you should love the one also who was also born of the Father, that was begotten. Say, what do you mean? Well, in a healthy family, brothers and sisters may not always get along. Now, I don't know about your family... But in my family, my brothers and sisters and I did not always get along. Now, my sister and my brother would have recognized that I was always right, wouldn't have had that problem. But it took them a while to come to that realization, and, you know, we would negotiate, you know, issues. And by my dad's perspective, everything was always my fault. You know, do do I have any other, you know, middle children in here this this, this morning? Was it not the middle? It's always our fault. The oldest one was always so responsible. And the little one was so cute. You know, and the middle one was... (laughs) You? Oh, we forgot we had you. You know, you did it, you know. Um, but if you grow in your physical life in a healthy family, and if you have a proper love for your father, your, even your human father, just out of respect for your love for him, knowing that he loves your brother and your sister, you ought to love your brother and sister too. Ouch. That's the same principle that John's bringing. If we have a proper love relationship with God, our Father, from whom we received salvation, then we should have a love relationship, and at least out of respect for our Heavenly Father, choose to love, even though sometimes they're very unlovely, out of respect for our Heavenly Father. In verse number 2, John answers the thought, well, then how do I know if I'm loving my brothers and sisters? And he reminds them the, the love relationship with the Father, and then he adds on, and, and keep his commandments, you know, be obedient. And then in verse number 3, he goes and says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his, grievous, and his commandments are not grievous. Now, in verse 3, it's very really important when he says, for this is the love of God. Many times we hear the love of God and we're thinking, okay, this is what God's love's like for us. No, that's not what he's saying here in the context. He's saying, this is the love of God. You say, how do I love God? He says, this is the love of God. This is what my love looks like towards God. You say, well, how do I know if I love God? What does it look like? Well, he makes it clear again. He says it again. We keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now, this again is interesting. John has given us this information and he's He's telling us that, you know, they're not grievous. Now, he doesn't list the specific commands in this epistle. Now, some people think every time they see the word commands, he's talking about the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments. I'm not so sure about that. I think he would have actually used the term the law. Uh, I think he has more in mind um, uh, the fact that you and I are no longer under Mosaic Law. Aren't you glad for that? That you don't have to keep all 613 of them? But we are under grace. Grace. Now, again, doesn't mean the Old Testament is the inspired Word of God. We just need to come to it understanding, you know, the, the, old, the different covenants that God gives us and uh, different times, and we recognize that I'm so thankful that we are not under law, but we're under grace. Some people say, well, does that mean I have to obey the Ten Commandments? Technically, uh, it's part of the law. We're not under the law. Now that, people say, well, that's really good. Well, no, well... Hold your horses. And for those of you who said that means I can go steal and I can go commit all kinds of sins. No, you cannot. We are not under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Messiah. Remember what he quotes in his whole book. First John he says it over and what's what is it that he commanded us to love one another remember that was in the remember in John chapter 13 Jesus does that there right before he gets crucified uh, I think he has in mind here all the commandments that Jesus gave and if you study the New Testament you'll find that Jesus reiterates nine of the ten commandments does anybody know which ten of the ten he didn't reiterate the Sabbath in the New Testament mindset every day is holy unto God don't let the seventh day Adventist tell you you know that puts you under bondage of the law we're not under the law we're free under grace. Amen. But that being said, we are under the law of Messiah. And, and you say, well, what does that mean? That means Jesus said, you, you have read that, that you shall not commit adultery. That's part of the Ten Commandments. But I say unto you that he that looks on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery in his heart already. Jesus didn't just underscore those nine of the ten. He took them one bad farther and said it's not only what you do, but it's what you think. The accountability and responsibility under grace is not lower, it is higher. We have been given much. You see, he tells them that we are to obey and he says, how do I know if I have a proper love relationship with the Father? He says that the commandments are not grievous. God wants you to do what he's telling you to do. You know, there's some commandments as you walk with the Lord that God may tell you specifically as you study his word and in principle with the word of God, not talking about in violation or disagreement with the word of God. That's the authority of our faith. But as you do that, sometimes God specifically says to you, I want you to do this. I, I want you to meet a need in a fellow brother's life. Maybe it's even somebody in the church you don't even like. And God says, you know that you know they have that need in their life, and I want you to meet it. Ever had those discussions with God? When he commanded me, and I know he wants me to do it, and then I'm going, but God, you don't understand. They're really quite a loser. They're really pretty mean. They don't do anything. They don't help anybody else. They're really pretty self. What do you mean you want me to do that? That doesn't seem like a very good commandment. And God keeps saying, the Holy Spirit keeps saying, no, do it. Now, you remember, if those of you in here this morning who have been parents, you remember when you have small children and you give them instructions and sometimes children look at you with that whiny face? One like this, you know? (laughs) Now, I was not real patient with the whiny face thing. Jenny was probably a little more patient, but I don't think you were that patient with it either, you know? You know, what is it? Obedience is joyfully doing what I'm asked to do. And that, the, the, you know, the word, you know, so put a smile on that face. I don't care what you think, you know. Um, but I thought to myself, how many times when God tells us and gives us a commandment, do we give God the whiny face? When you know you're in a love relationship with God is when you can be honest with God and say, God, I don't think that fellow believer... I love them because I love you and I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing and I don't think they really deserve it. But if this is what you're telling me to do, because I love you, I'm going to joyfully do it. You can do that. Your, your relationship with God as a believer is probably in, in, in pretty good standing. Sometimes he asks us in the spiritual household to take out the garbage, so to speak. I don't mean that in a literal sense. Although sometimes we do appreciate those who take out the garbage here, right? You know, matter of fact, if I may so say, it it always amazes me some of the folks around here that are so humble when we have big fellowship times, whatever, that are not too big or too important to to take out the trash. You know, I don't know about you, but I like it when the garbage gets out, don't you? Hangs around a while, things start stinking. Well, he goes on in verses four and five, which was really my text this morning, where he starts talking about overcoming and victory. Do you like winning? I like winning. And my, my brother and sister, if they're watching, which usually they do, they would both tell you that of the three of us, if, if I lost, you ever know a sore loser? I was a sore loser. Now, I got better at it because I married Jenny and she always lets me win. And uh, so that's very kind of her to do that because usually I cheated. I know, I, I knew she's looking at me on that, but my theory stands if you're not awake enough to know I'm following the rules, then you deserve to lose. You know, um, it's Jim Harbaugh's uh, principle of coaching, apparently, um, for our college football fans. Um, but uh, I like to win. And I thought to myself, in my life, in my physical life here, can you ever think of any time where you won in some competition or something? Is there anybody that, you know, you think about something that you won, that you were, you were involved in, that will always go in the memory of your life, that you personally were involved in? Now, I don't want to hear from the Alabama fans about the five times they've won a national championship. Um, <laughs> I didn't even get corrected. They are definitely not listening, so I don't care. All right, the time they won one and a half, National championships, whatever it is that they won. I'm talking about something you personally were involved in that you won, you know, that there's that, a positive memory. I'm not telling you to brag on yourself. We, none of us will think that. Maybe a few of us will, the carnal ones, but we're just asking a question. Anybody got anything this morning? Uh, Pastor Danny? Me and my brother playing a uh, game of spades against our wives. And winning. You and your brother playing game of spades. I don't even know what that is. Um, against your wives and winning. That's the epic center of your win total. It's the way you won. Now, well, you know what? Given that she's won everything else in your relationship, I, I, I can see why where you, where you remember that. Emery, did I see your hand back there? Okay, I did. I'm calling on you. In a jump roping competition, you came in second. I was about to dog you, about finishing second, but that's pretty good, my friend. I don't know if I'd admit it publicly, but it's pretty good, um, you know. Uh, but then again, that that does trump his spades competition, all right? We're moving up scale, and then you, you got first place when Jamie said yes. Allie back there? Oh, I want to hear this one. Yes, I gave up on my daughter. Yes. Yes, my daughter won a horse competition, a horse show thing. There was like 30 kids out there and I mean some she was competing against these kids that had horses that were worth more than our house, you know, that kind of stuff and I was going, Lord, just let her place. Just let her and there's like five places, five or six, eight. So they started eight and worked their way down to one, and it went eight. She wasn't called. Seven, she wasn't called. <laughs> he wasn't called. She wasn't called. And I'm going, oh, no, she's going to be devastated. And, you know, as a par- you know, as a parent, you'd rather have them win than you win, you know. Um, well, no, I don't know if I got that. But I, I, I wanted her to win. And uh, all of a sudden they go, and in first place, you know, Allison Sosio Sola. We weren't sure if that was. Did she win? And she did. We got that blue ribbon somewhere, don't we? Bless the Lord. We paid enough money. You should <laughs> won first place. I can tell you that. <laughs> no bitterness here. But I, you know, anybody else? Uh, yeah, Joe, this is good. I, di- I didn't know it hit a nerve like this this morning. But yes. Yeah, I remember
1: um, in college I won the softball championship by hitting in the um, bringing in
0: the uh, extra run. You you won the the college softball, yeah. and by hitting you you got the winning RBI. Well, we are, we, are, we are going from spades to jump roping to horses to softball. We are going upward. Now, you don't let us down, Will. Yeah, mine in North Dakota, I'm uh, doing a shooting competition against the security forces. Say, uh, well. Yeah, I came <laughs> If you're watching online, we have a military executed guy saying he was in a shooting contest. And he goes, and I came in number one. Um, you know, as if there was, was it, was it you the only one competing or what? Um, you know, you said that's a matter of fact that, you know, now I will give you credit too. You know, you have upped the game there. I don't know if anybody could win anything better than a shooting contest. Pastor Cody's going to give it a shot. master <laughs> Cody won a shooting contest, not because he won in paintball uh, in paintball, uh because he, not because he got the best shot, because he got shot right between the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh I gotta do Russ Gunton. I I I begin by denying anything he says. Yes? I can tell you but it's kinda gross, she says don't tell Okay. <laughs> Then we're just going to give you credit what's what happens in vietnam stays in vietnam okay we're going to go with the marines on that as a the, the day i, I was going to lie, yes <laughs> this summer the red team that you were on at southlands christian camp you guys won the the tournament did you guys cheat Okay, I, I just, I was hoping you'd learn, you know, but you won, so, you know, that, that, that's all right. Cab. you a second in design for uh, rubbing pencil all over the, uh, spin or whatever, all over the car and hiding with their knees. you a second in design for rubbing pitbull all over the car. Well, don't, don't say that for the, the, the Awana Derby this year. You know, if you need some design uh, ideas, go see Cab and uh, make the whole car, not just the axles fast. It makes everything. You know, Maybe Weyerbach Racing needs that uh, come, come out of retirement, Pastor Danny. I thought that's what you were going to say. You know, the, nobody said the Grand Prix. I know for me it was winning a, the Turkey Bowl at Pensacola Christian College as a soccer player. You know, is there any, any PCC people here? Do we have anybody from the college here? Yeah, okay, can you all appreciate that? Winning a Turkey Bowl is a big deal. Okay, you know. I've been there, done that. So soccer, Pastor Danny, that is the highest ranking, right? Okay, it's almost Premier League. Um, I didn't mean to take that much time on this. I really didn't think, you know, but, you know, we ask these people about winning, and this is the odd Baptist way. Uh, I I like winning, and I'm so glad in these verses 4 and 5 that that John talks about overcoming the world and victory over the world, and I thought, well, how do we do that? How do we score a victory over the world? I don't know about you, but it seems to me that as a Christian, we just keep taking L's. Do you feel that way? Do we keep losing in the culture war and all these different things? It's like, you know, what's going on? Well, how in the world can we, you know, win, so to speak? Well, I'm really thankful. Verse number five, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Woo! When you look at how John presents the gospel we, it's very similar to what he says back in his gospel account when we want to know what, what, what does that mean in John 20 31 uh, you know verse I hope you have committed to memory John says why did I write my gospel Be, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you might have life through his name there's the plan of salvation believing that Jesus is the Christ my sin bearer that he's not just any arbitrary Jesus but he's the son of God he's gone from everlasting to everlasting he is God always was always will be that's the jesus we're talking about not the jesus of the mormons not the jesus of the Jehovah's witnesses or the jesus of the progressive movements, but jesus who is god from all eternity who came and put upon himself flesh died on a cross because of the sins of the world rose again left an empty tomb and offers all of humanity eternal life if we'll simply believe him for it jesus said john eight twenty four. I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am He. Ye shall die in your sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John six forty seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath present tense everlasting life. And of course, the ultimate, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, you realize that every single time a person trusts Jesus Christ through simple faith, it's a victory for the good guys every time. That's why here at Open Door we're really committed to doing things with Operation Christmas Child because it reaches so many unreached people groups and I want to take just a couple minutes here. We're going to dim the lights. We're going to take a little dramatic pause effect here in the sermon. And if you're watching online, this should play. It's free copyrights, no, no legal liability here. And uh, we want to pray, uh, play a short video uh, for you. And then we'll, we'll finish out this morning.
1: my name is elizabeth and i was born and raised in ukraine until i was 13 years old when i turned one my father passed away and my mom unable to support us financially packed us up and moved us to a nearby village to live with our grandparents two years down the road my mom had my little sister tanya and she just didn't know how to deal with the grief and the responsibility so she turned to alcohol me being the bigger sister i had to step up and take care of my little sister I had the responsibility to provide a better future for her. I knew she deserved better. She became my world. So I took her by the hand and we ran away. We found ourselves in an orphanage. Two years later, Tanya's father showed up and said that he was going to take her home and that since I wasn't his daughter, he can't take me home with her. So as I watched her walk away, she looked back at me and the only thing I could see in her eyes was joy and happiness. But the one thing I felt was heartbreak. And I couldn't show her that, because I knew that she deserved better. I knew that was the best I could do for her, so I let her go. And in that moment, I felt hopeless, I felt lost, I felt alone, and I just hit rock bottom. And that is where Jesus met me. He didn't leave me there. He showed me that he loved and cared for me through a simple gift, through a shoebox. When I opened my box, it was filled with so many different toys, but the one thing I remembered the most was a shiny yo-yo. To me, that yo-yo represented hope. To me, it represented love and care. Someone cared enough to send me this box, and I instantly felt Jesus' love. In May of 2007, I was adopted by a wonderful family from Williamsburg who was involved in packing Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. And that year, my family decided to pack five shoeboxes. As we were shopping for the items to fill the boxes with, I realized that I received one of the boxes back in Ukraine. And with the help of family and friends that year, we decided to fill 100 boxes. And instead, we filled 150. From that year on, I had this passion in me to fill more boxes and share the love that I once received through this simple gift. Please don't ever stop packing shoeboxes. There are so many children out there just like me who have never heard of Jesus or experienced his everlasting love. This shoebox changes lives like it changed mine so many years ago.
0: Pretty good, huh? You know, we don't know where everything, where these boxes are going to end up, but God does. And they just show the love of God to someone like Elizabeth there. And every time I see one of those, it's a victory for the good guys. You know, that's why just a few weeks ago at Halloween, yeah, Halloween, I was thrilled. I, I, didn't get, I don't think we ever got our final count. DT took those things apart so quickly. But if I do the subtraction, I'm sure we gave well over a thousand gospel tracts out that night. Over a thousand. That's a victory. I don't know where it goes, but if one person receives Christ, it's a victory. I know just a couple weeks ago, our drive-in event that we sponsored out at Drive-In Park, we had 29 cards come in at the end of the movie, right, Brother Jim? uh, We had 29 cards come in that responded uh, about to the gospel. 29, that's a a victory to me. Or our missionary partners in in Nigeria, I think Pastor Ojo, recently, uh, a couple months ago, they held their vacation Bible school, and in three days, they had 2,350 kids attend their vacation Bible school bless God that's amazing right and I had over 600 professions of faith that's a victory or, or uh, our missionary in the Philippines that we do with uh, the cemetery ministry I love their their uh, uh, their their, uh, their theme of their I don't know what is their motto I guess would be and I think it's a picture of the kids living in the cemetery there in Manila uh, the theme of their ministry is rescuing the dead living among the dead wow I remember Brother Tim Avila here a few weeks ago shared with us how that over that last year or so they've had over 1,700 who've come to uh, trust in Jesus Christ who live in a cemetery. That's a victory for the good guys for me. What about our newest church build in Ethiopia, Jajara, in Ethiopia, Jajara Baptist Church and Pastor Tashita and Pastor Naguro. Uh, these wonderful, there's our, our church building, and then uh, here's Pastor Naguru and his wonderful family. Here they are out in the middle of nowhere down near Somalia in this very rough area, tribal village area, and in this church that God used you to, to raise up the finances to build that building. I, the most recent uh, newsletter I got from uh, Pastor uh, Burhanu, uh, he told me that Pastor Naguru and, and Pastor Rashida have had over 40 folks come to faith in Christ because that church, all of them out of Islam. You know anywhere else where forty people being saved out of Islam? I call that a victory. Or let's go to Zambia, where our our deaf minister, our, our missionary to the deaf, John Katana, uh, God is doing tremendous things. They held a deaf con- conference in Livingston. Uh, what a tremendous missionary work that Brother Katana is doing there! And uh, some deaf people came from all over the all over the region, and some of them came by train because it costs less money. Now by a car, Brother Katana said it takes eight hours to drive from where these people came to get where they were by car. Eight hours. He said if you take a train, it takes three days. Three days. Now I know what American Christians would do. Back to whiny face. It's a long drive. You know what the believers that came on that train, they just held their own little uh, conference three days out there and even before they got to the conference, three folks had come to faith in Christ. 16 more at the conference itself. Wow. Sometimes we think our side is always losing and there's no overcoming, but it's not true. Every time someone comes to faith in Christ, there's a victory. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about missions is because when's the last time we've seen Americans respond to the gospel like that? We're cold and we're hard. That's why missions is so very, very important. But secondly, how else do we overcome? We get a victory every time someone wins, it comes to faith in Christ, but we also score a victory every time, as, as he says here, what is the victory that overcometh the world? Even our faith. I think John is in mind. There's one way is by seeing someone saved. Another way is by you and I, those of us who are in active duty as Christians, every time we rely on our faith to overcome the enemy, there our spiritual victory is available. That we are in service for the king and that as those who are in service, just like our active military and those who served in the past in the military, the reason we have one is because of conflict. And every Christian needs to understand that there's spiritual conflict in your life Today, to right now, to this week, you know, Satan's trying hard to defeat you, discourage you, and get you off track. We are in a spiritual warfare. We're saved eternally by faith, and daily we have victory as we live by faith. The Bible says it this way in Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written, the just shall live by faith. As the writer of Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and believe that he's rewarded them that diligently seek him. See, life gets hard. I don't know about your issues, but man, life gets hard for me. I get beat down, financial problems, job problems, health problems, family problems, civil unrest, racial unrest, wars immorality everywhere this morning my admonition is hold on to your faith hold on ephesians 6 16 with the armor of god above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you should be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked why is it when you and i give up it's because when we lose our faith when is it that we get defeated when we lose our faith when is it that we start misinterpreting who we are before god when i lose my faith I know we think we have it really hard, but I'm always reminded of the unnamed people in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. It lists all these well-known Bible characters, Moses and Abraham and the others. But in verse 36, he says, And others, nameless had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover were bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report, having obtained victory through faith, received not the promise. In was in this life, it didn't go all too good for them. But because they held on to the faith, it was a victory. Wow. As Americans, there are so many veterans of victory. People you may never know their names. Some serve behind the lines and still, in other words, critical to victory. Others pay the price every day for the rest of their lives. I always like to bring to your attention um, somebody in in history or in recent events that typifies uh, the principle I'm teaching. And this morning I, I was thinking about different heroes of mine historically that were men of victory. I'm so glad I make no apologies that I'm so thankful the United States won World War II. I don't make any apology for that. The world's a better place because of it. But some years ago, when I was attending Oliver's, our son, adopted son wedding up in Pennsylvania, I was privileged to go someplace that I always wanted to go, which was Gettysburg. Uh, If you've never been to Gettysburg, especially if you're a history nut, it's a really, to me, it's hallowed ground. Because Gettysburg was the, had the the North lost that battle, history probably would have been rewritten differently. And... uh, it's an amazing place to go, and especially the a spot called Little Round Top. And it was, in the Union lines, it was the left flank. It was the very end of the Union line. And it was on this little hill, rocky hill, and um, it was critical that the North hold it. And because if they did not, the Confederates would be able to come around the side and, and come back and really encircle in, in the entirety of the Army of the Potomac and belt, dealt maybe a, a crushing blow. Um, on that little rocky mountain top area, a little rise there, uh, the man in charge was a colonel and he was from Maine and he was a colonel in charge of the 20th Regiment of Maine. So a bunch of maniacs up there, if you would say, on top of that hill, it fits them, fits them pretty well. and um, the, Rebels at the bottom of the mountain, which, by the way, were made up of our kinfolk or many of yours, a bunch of Alabama regiments at the bottom. And only I suppose they had the Alabama regiment go because they were the only ones crazy enough to ra- march up that hill, charge up a hill when the enemy held high ground, had, you know, a little wall. And, and the, your, your, your commander says, charge up the hill. And, and you know what? With those men of honor and valor and bravery charged up a hill into withering fire. And they went up once and they got mowed down and retrieved. They went back down. They regrouped. They brought some rain for it. They went up again and, and got a little farther, got a little closer, and got run back. They went up the third time, got almost to the wall till they pulled back. And then they got more reinforcements and they went up again on the fourth time to where the, they were breaching the wall and there was hand-to-hand fighting and, and, and barely the, the, the 20th Maine, uh, which was withering away, the, what were made pushed them back and the, uh, the, the Confederates went back down the hill, but they knew. Every time they'd gained guard they brought more reinforcements in and they said, this time we got them. On the top of the hill, the commander of the 20th Maine, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, was looking around and realizing that more than half his regiment was dead. He could see the Confederates gathering down there and bringing reinforcements. He knew he was outnumbered at least five to one. And as he's considering what are my options here, understanding the gravity of the moment, he's got his uh, lieutenants, one of which was his own brother that was coming to him and, and everybody was bringing him information at one time. One was coming up and saying, sir, the outnumber is five to one. Another one's coming, sir, we sent that request for reinforcements, understanding how critical our position is. And, and the higher up said, no reinforcements are coming. Another one came to him at the same time and said, hey, uh, sir, I want you to know that we're, basically, we've got enough one shot for every guy. We're pretty much flat out ammunition we couldn't get any more." Another guy says, sir, the rebels are on their way all this happening. And Joshua Chamberlain stood there and in his mind was running through these things about what would be the consequences if he pulls back and retreats and gives this ground to the enemy. And finally his brother Tom screamed at him, Joshua, sir, give us an order. And in that moment, He decided that he was not going to accept the status quo of defeat. And he looked at his men and his leaders and said, fix bayonets. If we're out of ammunition, we're going to put the old knife on the end of the rifle. And he said, follow me, boys. And he took out his sword and he jumped on top of that wall and he said, charge. A bunch of crazy maniacs leapt over the wall, ran down the mountain right into the face of the enemy. The enemy, seeing this, thought, who in their right mind would give such an order? They must have just got reinforcements. And so they turned, many of them dropped their arms, and in less than 10 minutes, a defeated, quote-unquote, broken Ragged group of men captured the entire regiments of the 15th Alabama and 47th Alabama, more than 400 men. And in one decision, Joshua Chamberlain literally changed the world. You see, most historians think that had the Union lost that particular battle, they would have lost the Army of the Potomac. More than likely, history does not play out the way that it does. And if you don't believe that, understand that Congress gave Joshua Chamberlain the Congressional Medal of Honor and when the end of the war finally came there at Appomattox, President Abraham Lincoln called up Joshua Chamberlain to be the one at Appomattox that received the sword of surrender. You say, what's your point, Pastor Ken? My point is you may be like the 20th Maine that you feel like Satan's hitting you over and over and over and you hold on, and you barely hold on, and you barely hold on, and you say to yourself, I can't hold on any longer. My admonition to you this morning is keep the faith, hold the line. Victory can be just one decision away. Keep moving forward. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of just preaching today, and we thank you for just being reminded and uh, considering the gift of eternal life and the free gift that it is and a grace that none of us merit. Lord, I pray if there's one watching today or listening online today, my dear friend, if you don't know you're on your way to heaven, if you were to die this very moment and with all the uncertainties of life today, boy, it's uncertain days. Are you sure you'd go to heaven? Do you know there's been a time where you received that gift? that God is offering you the gift of forgiveness for your sins. Would you trust Jesus Christ today as your personal Savior? Oh, dear Christian, I, my, my plan today, my goal today was to remind all of us as a church family that, hey, there's some victory going on out there. You know, good things are happening. People are being saved. God's using our ministry. But it happens only as we as a church family stay vibrant in our personal walks. And I want to be an encouragement, especially this morning If you're listening here today in person or online and you're going through a particularly difficult time and it seems like you're losing and Satan's hitting you over and over again and you said to yourself, I can't take another charge. Yes, you can. Hold the faith. Don't accept the defeat that Satan is selling you. There is victory. Holy Spirit of God, I pray in each of those circumstances that you know, I pray you'd give encouragement where it is necessary. God, help us to be reminded that because we are secure in your hands, no matter what happens in this life, though we go through the trials and though we seem to, quote-unquote, lose from the outside, that we know we're secure in your hand and heaven is our home and ultimate victory is ours through our faith. Seal decisions in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you please stand with me? We're going to sing.